I talked about keeping us fresh as a brand, keeping kind of ahead of the trends, keep monitoring the trends. And if you if you just sit back and don't do anything and expect people to kind of uh, follow you without doing anything fresh and giving them experiences, you're gone. As a brand, you'll be gone. Hello everyone and welcome to the Student Lawyer podcast series. Whether you're at school, sixth form, university, thinking about a career in law or exploring law careers, you're in the right place. We are the one-stop shop for student lawyers. If you'd like to join the Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. This episode is sponsored by the University of Law. The University of Law offers a range of undergraduate and postgraduate courses and master's degrees alongside an award-winning pro bono clinic so you can build up your legal experience while studying. And their experienced career service will enable you to put your best foot forward when launching your legal career. The courses are employment focused and based on real legal practice so you'll be better prepared for the workplace. Part-time and online study options are available so you can work and study at the same time. Click the link in the description box of the podcast to find out more about the courses on offer. Hello everyone, welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast. My name is Stephanie, I'm a current LLB student, future trainee solicitor and the host of today's episode. Joining me today is Michael Cleary, Managing Director of Mast Jägermeister UK. Prior to joining Mast Jägermeister, Michael has held senior positions at Babco, Imperial Tobacco, Absolute, Irish Distillers and Unilever. So it's safe to say what Michael doesn't know about the alcohol industry isn't worth knowing. During the episode, Michael explains how Jägermeister has remained a leader in the alcohol industry for almost a century and how to create and maintain brand recognition and market share. Michael also talks about the risks and challenges to the alcohol industry, such as its supply chain, the pandemic, Brexit and other regulations that are on the government's agenda. We also discuss current trends and the future of the alcohol industry. And Michael also provides advice to student lawyers considering a career as an in-house lawyer at a company in the alcohol industry. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me. Well, I've been really excited for this episode because it's everything that I love speaking about, commercial awareness and alcohol, but, you know, I'm talking about <laughs> alcohol, Jägermeister, which I have adored for so many years. I won't tell you how many because I'm going to give away my age and how long I've been drinking for. So, really <laughs> on. but it's great to have you here on the show. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you. Um, so I thought that we could perhaps start off the show um, by asking you to introduce yourself by explaining what your role as managing director of Math Jägermaster entails. Of course, if you no problem. So Michael Cleary, um, as you say, I am the MD of the MJ, we call it MJ UK. It's the Math Jägermaster UK business. And I, I guess in essence, you could say I, I simply steer our Jägermeister UK ship. Um, it's my role provide would you say inspiration, motivation, strategic direction, 
guidance a little bit to the leaders and managers in the business. And I guess I, I oversee directing the operations to make sure what we say at the start of the year will do, that we achieve and effectively and efficiently throughout the year. Excellent. Sounds, um, I really like those kind of jobs that you have um, a team, a great team to work with that, as you said, are sailing through um, and hitting all those targets. It it sounds um yeah, really motivational, as you said. It's, and, uh, I'm 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 as only as strong as my team, and that's what I always I always say. My, my, I'm very lucky to have a great team around me. Excellent. Well, it sounds like you have um, would have great job satisfaction, um, hitting off all those targets with a great team. Um, so, what attracted you to work? Well, what attracted you to MJ? I'm going to copy you now. Um, and what's <laughs> the best part about working for the company? Um, you, you know what, what probably attracted me, I say, actually, I probably should go back a little bit, Stephanie. Um, I, I'm actually part of Mass Jägermeister MJ for eight years. So uh, as you can tell from my accent, I'm Irish. And I moved over from Ireland to Germany back in 2014. And I, I took up the role as the Western European director for the business. And I did that role for five years. Um, I also got that I kind of joined the UK back in August 2019. But when, when I think back towards 2014, probably early 14, when the company approached me um, and I kind of thought, what made me the decision to uproot my family, move from Ireland over to Germany? And, and I think back, I think there's probably three things that convinced me to kind of be part of the company and the journey that they were on. And the fact that it was a family owned business. And they had really clear, clear values was so important to me because there are I've been part of massive companies that have 35, 40,000 employees and they're brilliant. I had an amazing time, but you can make more of an impact when you are part of a family business. The family listen and the family really have those kind of clear values of the family business. And when I was doing through the interview process, what really convinced me was the vision of the board. Um, like yourself, I was a longtime consumer of Jägermeister. I, I won't also touch on how long for how long, but and when I kind of con- Jägermeister contacted me to work for, it, I was like, "Wow, what an opportunity!" But I thought it was kind of an old brand had exhausted all of their opportunities. But talking to the board and talking to their vision and, and what they actually had for the brand, I was like, "Wow, this is a journey and a train that I want to get on." And then, as I the, probably the last one is the brand itself. I'm I'm a marketeer at heart. I studied marketing in college. And I love brands. And you're talking about kind of job satisfaction and being able to get out of bed in the morning and look forward to going to work. You have to have that. If you need that for me, for the brand, and you need to believe in what the brand is about. And for Jägermeister, that that, that was easy. Excellent. Um, just touching on what you said about the, the family run business. Um, I've, I've read a couple of books about founding run businesses and it just seems to me that uh when companies or families are in control of their businesses throughout um you know the existence of the company the quality is maintained of the product um Mm -hmm. which i really like um and yeah i think that that kind of shines through with jägermeister um and I think that's why, you know, they've been around for, you know, 90 years. I think it, it mm-hmm. just really speaks for itself. Um, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I love brands as well. The the story behind them and, um, you know, the journey that they have been on, if they, you know, if they have been around for 90 years, like Jägermeister. So, yeah, fantastic career 
you are having, I think, with fantastic so brands. Fun. So far. <laughs> so for our listeners unfamiliar with the beverage, okay. um, please can you explain what Jägermeister is and how it is best served, of in your course. opinion, anyway? <laughs> yeah, no, no problem. Of course, it, you know, it's. I'm sure most people, it, your listeners especially, would probably recognize that green bo- bottle on the back shelf or kind of in the freezer and the kind of red liquid. But Jägermeister, it, it's, it's a very much a unique German herbal spirit. Um, and it is known for its bottle that was developed by Kurt Mass from a secret recipe over 80 years ago. It's a blend of 56 different herbs, blossoms, roots, and fruits from all over the world. And it's a very undisclosed recipe. And there's only a few, there's only a handful of people in the world who actually know what the recipe is. Um, It's made pure natural botanical ingredients and they're all extracted. They have week long um, maceration to create the actual base. So it actually ages. It's housed in like 400 oak casks back in Wolfenbüttel in Germany. It breathed a full year. Nobody knows that because we kind of promote it as an ice cold shot and it's like almost two or three seconds. People don't know the quality that goes on behind it. And when you when you're maturing something for a full year, we guarantee the high quality finish, the authentic taste. That it's kind of we we believe that served at minus eighteen is that perfect kind of taste when you take it out of the freezer. And I, I can imagine Stephanie, your audience likes facts, and so I thought I'd bring one fact, an interesting one, before we get so from the ingredients up until the actual liquid gets into your glass in a bar or a club or at home or at a barbecue with friends we carry out 383 quality checks. So that is actually, so when you think of the, you're talking about the quality of the product from a family business, that's it. And when, so when it comes to the serve and how people drink it, we, we really say, t- put it in your freezer. The bottle won't freeze. Take it out when you have some friends over or if you're in a bar, ask them to take it out of the freezer, put it in a shot glass and toast some friends to memorable moments. I read that. Um, I, I, I'm not sure where, but I was blown away by the amount of tests that it went through. And, you know, the the student lawyer inside of me did kind of like perk up. And I just thought, you know, I wonder how many if there are regulations around that, that it needs to be tested that amount of time. But um but yeah, I just I thought it was really impressive and just goes to um the heart of Jägermeister, Jägermeister and um the heart yeah. that it just oozes quality so really impressive great fact Step, yeah thanks thanks and you know if you think of german cars you know we like to bring the quality of how they make german qualities to our product yeah yeah excellent well thank you for no sharing that no problem um so We've spoken obviously about the quality and it's been around and the Egermaster has been around for 90 years. I think that's the correct figure. Please do correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, but how has Jägermeister re- uh, remained a leader in the drinks industry for almost a century? Um, and do you think that this reason is also what sets Jägermeister out from its competitors? Um, yeah, we've always been a little bit different. You know, it, it, we're not easily substitutable. You know, even I, I just talked about the complex nature of the product and the 56 ingredients. And I guess we've always gone our own way. We've believed in ourselves. We focus on very much on the on-trade and, and for your listeners and yourself, for the on-trade, when we talk in the drinks business, it's very much bars, clubs. Um, so in the in drinks business, you have the on-trade, which is bars and clubs, and the off-trade supermarkets, convenience. And we focus on the on-trade. 
We're always bold. We do cutting edge marketing, aggressive investment into experiential marketing programs. And we focus on music, festivals, et cetera, et cetera. And as I talked on, we are a family business. So we're extremely patient. And if I can give the example of China, for example, which is one of our big emerging markets over the last um, couple of years before, we know there's kind of lockdowns going on now across China. But before that, it's a market where it took over a decade of consistent investment to see the brand take off. And that's kind of testament again to back to being the family member. You have time to invest and take your time because we know that eventually it will work. Our brand also synonymous with uh, group celebrations and occasions. Consumers rarely order one shot of Jägermeister. It is always about friends, family, get together, which is one of the reasons coming out of lockdown why the brand has been so successful, because people were just so happy to get back and have those moments with friends again. Um, I would also say, Stephanie, we're, we're, we constantly review our activities and refresh how we talk to consumers. So we, we, we target those 18 to say tw 24 to 29, you can kind of almost say consumers, but how we talk to them, we have to make sure that we're relevant. Ch trends change so quickly, and we have to make sure that we're on top of them. And I guess the final piece of the, the jigsaw or the circle, whatever you want to call it, commercially, uh, as a business and as a brand, we have to stay close to our customers. We, I, I always kind of say to, to people when I'm out visiting the trade, Jägermeister is not a substitute. So somebody will not come into the bar and go, I'll have two glasses of wine. Oh, no, no, actually, I won't. I'll have two Jäger instead. What we say is Jägermeister is always incremental. It's always I'll have a round of beers or a round of wines or a round of drinks and I'll have a round of Jägermeister. And at a time when all the industry is really suffering and need cash flow and need money into their pockets, it's a great addition to have Jägermeister on the back bar visible because people will actually kind of get that incremental business. Yeah, that's so true. Um, I remember when the UK uh, was coming out of lockdown and the uh, the nightclubs were opening again. Mm. And I did I did actually make it to a nightclub with one of my good friends. <laughs> I'm before, sure you did. Before we went into lockdown, Michael, I had written off nightclubs for myself, thinking that I would pass <laughs> it. But yeah, I was glad to say that was probably one of the first in the queues when they did open. And I think that the first round of drinks that were ordered were a massive, <laughs> a massive, uh, what do they call it? Um, well, there were just so many Jägermeisters going around. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, you're, what you're saying is absolutely true. It is a drink that people use to celebrate. And I'm sure there were probably other drinks um, that accompanied those Jägermeisters. Of course, bombs. of course. Um, so, yeah, what you're saying is I can I can really um, uh, relate to that. Good. Um, but what, as well, what you were saying about the quality of the original um, products always remains like the quality doesn't move um but then it sounds like Jägermeister is really open-minded and will you know cater to younger um clientele that may like aren't familiar with it and we're going to come on to some of the campaigns a little bit later but um yeah I really do like how it stays true to its mm -hmm. original product but not scared to venture out and try different things because, you know, it's it's got such a strong base, um, which is just fantastic. Yeah. Um, so what are the most effect what is the most effective way to create and maintain brand recognition and market share, do you think? And Jenny, you know, as I touched on, I'm a marketeer at heart. Um, I, I could talk for hours, but I won't. Um, I think your listeners might get a little bit bored, but um 
you know, we want to give as many consumers as possible to see, try, experience Jägermeister. So it's kind of really build awareness, build penetration, grow your market share. And for me, traditionally now, I know you might turn it upside down a little bit with the lockdowns because sales for spirit companies went so well in the off trade and supermarkets. But for me, spirit brands are built in the on trade. That's where people get experiences. So we focus on visibility, trial and experience in the on trade. We have real emphasis, say, on consistency, creating impact at the point of purchase. So we kind of talk almost like the last in the UK is it meters or feet. I always get confused, but it's like, is it the last two meters to the bar or the last six feet to the bar? In different countries, it's different measurement. Mm-hmm. I think Are you meters? Is it meters or feet here? I would say feet. Okay, then the last six <laughs> feet. The last six, six feet, that kind of last moment when people are kind of making the decision. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, we're proud to, of our agility and ability to adapt as the market and consumer taste dictates. So hence, we we saw an opportunity with Jägermeister Cold Brew Coffee here in the UK. And we said, right, that is a great opportunity for Jägermeister to kind of fit into. And um, since we focus on 18 to 24-year-old consumers, we, we invest heavily in things like festivals, giving people, we just had a new festival tool, the Jägermeister Platz that turned around five or six festivals in the summer, collaborations with music artists, our new campaign, for example, we had kind of a collaboration in there. And of course, digital communication channels. You know, at the end of the day, 18 to 24-year-olds consume social media, like more than food, probably. So for us, it's very much kind of important that we can actually kind of talk to them um, on those channels. But at the same time, we, we very much adhere to all the social and kind of corporate responsibility. So that's very, very important that we don't stretch over. We do have, as a spirits brand, we do have a, a responsibility and a part to play. <laughs> probably the last bit of answering is we're all about giving consumers the best nights of their lives. So today and tomorrow, you, you talked up, you talked on it when you went back to the kind of club for the first time. When they have a night out, we want to be there, not just because of our product intrinsics and what the product does, but because we're Jägermeister brand is known for it. And people expect us to be in the best nights of their lives. And like, we, I, I'm a firm believer and my teams will tell you, I like to focus on strengths and not weaknesses. And we know that not everybody doesn't love us. You know, there's always going to be people that just will not like Jägermeister. And that's fine. They, they're fine. We leave them alone. What we will do is we will talk to our advocates and we will say it's, it's a little bit of a polarizing brand. So don't be disheartened if some people don't like it. There's still enough people out there. No, I say love us and their support. Excellent. And um, what you were when you were talking about, you know, you work closely with music festivals and, and do all that kind of stuff. Um, I really like the connection there because yeah, you do um you do connect, you know drinks like Jägermeister with having a good time at a music festival, sun is shining. They are quite obvious, um, relatable connections. When I have been doing some research into um, brand brand marketing uh, that hasn't been so successful, um, I'll use an example like the recent Revlon um, restructuring. You know, they went into administration and and I'm not sure if they've been bought yet, but okay. On when they were on their way down, they started to do promotions with vloggers and bloggers, which had um, high following rates, but it wasn't connected to the brand. And I think that that's where they went wrong. They just attached themselves to something yeah. that that thought that would boost them into popularity again. And it, it obviously didn't work. It, it's not credible. Not credible, Stephanie, would be the word. Exactly. 
People see through it. Consumers aren't aren't stupid. I don't like to say that word, but that they're not. They they can see through things very quickly. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's great how you you guys are so refreshing um, and are, are passionate about your product and doing things that are right for your product and right for the consumers. And I think that is so important in business because you know it just goes back to what you're literally just saying. People don't like being sold to and it just it doesn't work. It's it's not how businesses, in my opinion, um, are going to survive the test of time. Do you know, Stephanie, if I can touch on that a little bit and then you go back to the festivals and our relationship with the festivals. It's like some brands and um, bigger brands, not only in drinks and stuff, they, they might see a festival and they might pay X amount, a big, huge fee to put their name such X brand sponsors whatever festival we don't believe in that that and that also it's not, not only don't we believe in it it's not something that we can as a family business we're a mono brand we're one brand company and um, so to be honest we, we can't do that because we don't have the strength of a massive portfolio behind us and um, but what we do do is we get in touch with the grassroots and it's something that we've been doing for 30 40 years as a brand where we work with bands musicians starting off when they're starting their career we support them it could be that we pay for their turbos it could be that we clothe them during their kind of tours, you know, but we help them in certain things that they need when they're starting off their careers. It's well and easy to jump on board the bandwagon later on when they're very successful, but we like to kind of nourish and go back to the grassroots because that's really is the DNA of the brand and supporting kind of being on that journey together. And that's that's the credible piece. Yeah. So would you, are you classified as somewhat of a social enterprise as you donate or work with charities like Emma we, we do I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say we were that we're a brand we're a business of course and um, we do um, have like part of our campaign when we went into lockdown for example the save the night campaign we did donate to bartenders we yeah. donated to the benevolent fund all these type of things where we do give donations and we have a pot of our budget every year that we do give to yeah. the, those type of services absolutely yeah so I worked um, over the summer for a um, social enterprise business they're kind of like an ethical amazon um and i got to know a little bit about social enterprises and i think um it's it's such a great thing what these businesses can do even a small amount of their profit to um good causes to help um yeah even donating a small amount of profit to um companies that you know are starting off can make such a big difference so totally um so you know well done for that i think that's really <laughs> credible um so could you please briefly explain what jägermeister's the secret is ice cold campaign is <laughs> you've been doing your you're doing your research stephanie um so I, I talked about earlier when, when you asked me about the product earlier, I said there's 56 ingredients. Yeah. Um, but we actually have in the UK here, because you did talk, talk on earlier, Jaeger bombs, um, a, a, a consumer pull piece um, that consumers just drink it with Red Bull here. There's a few Anglo-Saxon markets around the world where for some reason, um, Jaeger bomb has been successful. And we're good friends with Red Bull, don't get me wrong, but we believe that our perfect serve is pure as an ice cold shot. So when I talk about the 56 ingredients, we actually have a secret ingredient, which makes it even better. And we say our 57th ingredient is ice cold. So that's why we say the new campaign is the secret is ice cold. And we launched that campaign late last year. So it basically, it really is about lifting the lid on the secret ingredient, because in the UK, it's, it's incredible when we're talking to some of our consumers, they say, wow, that would be an amazing new product. And you're like, what? No, no. 
we actually have it on the market, but like I, I go to a bar and I, even I was at a concert in Brixton on Sunday night and I ordered a Jägermeister and the person put down the Red Bull and, and the, the bartender put down the Red Bull. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I would like just the Jägermeister, please. And uh, that, that's just something that's in the UK. So what we need, we have a big job to do to talk about that secret ingredient and say experiences are made better with ice. And that's what the campaign is about. And we thought it was time here in the UK to share the secret. So our campaign focuses increasing awareness and distribution of our perfect serve, which is the ice cold. An ice cold Jägermeister, minus 18, as I talk, talked about, but it's illustrated through, I guess, this um, series of stories that demonstrated experiences with ice. And I suppose if you take the hero video that we have, which we call Dancers, it shows two British dancers demonstrating incredible moves, only possible because they're on an ice dance floor. Um, the campaign talent, for example, the Meisters, that we like to call them, have a long history. So this is what I talk about being credible. We, we do use influencers and we, well, we kind of use certain people to help work with our brand that we actually call Meisters instead of influencers. But we didn't just take actors for this campaign. We brought in some of our own Meisters who we've been working for four or five years with and have a long history of collaborating with Jägermeister to be part of the actual campaign. Um, we also celebrated um, some work with Majestic. Majestic is a good friend, friend of our brand, and he's a good friend of ours. And um, he re remixed one of the songs, basically. And um, yeah, his music is the, the new track to the campaign, which worked very well. We, we have, I think it's in total, we have over 100 different digital files, videos, clips, different angles, different su supporting the campaign really across all of kind of our social medias and, and also some video on demand, things like Channel 4 Player and things like that. So uh, very, it's it's live now. So if your consumers are kind of out there on their social channels, you have the opportunity to see it. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to put some links to, you know, some of your uh, campaigns into the show notes of this episode. So if anybody does want to check them out, they'll be able to do that. Um, and do you know what? I have never done a shot of Jägermeister without the Red Bull making it a Jager bomb. Okay. I actually like Red Bull on its own. Um, so, yeah, maybe next time I will just um, try it with um, just uh, the ice cold um, aspect of it. Perfect. Um, Stephanie, I'll, I'll get you a bottle sent. You stick it in your freezer at home, leave it there for a few nights, and then take it out and put it in the glass. And absolutely. You'll be, you'll, be, you'll be pleasantly surprised. Okay, and I will spread the word as well. So perhaps in just a, a couple of weeks' time, it will not be a secret anymore. <laughs> great, great. Um, so how does Jägermeister communicate with its consumers to deliver innovative products like the cold brew coffee that you have touched on a little bit earlier? Um, same as our core Jägermeister brand. Like we, we talk about Jägermeister core, which is the one we've been talking about since. Yeah. We focus on being available where our consumers are spending their time building visibility and trial in the on-trade while also making it available in the off-trade. As I said, I was that person who kind of was going to the bar in, in kind of my early 20s and I'd have that haha moment where I'd be buying around for my friends and you'd, you'd kind of buy the extra round of Jägermeisters. And I think supporting that, the visibility part, supporting this with targeted above the line, kind of like advertising support and social media campaigns. Also in the UK, we're very proud. We have... We have um, a bartender kind of forum which we call the huberta circle and it's basically we have some of the top bartenders from across the uk as part of a part of a group a network of leading bartenders and they get the message out to the industry that jägermeister cold brew is such a wonderful product and the, the interesting thing is yes it's a nice cold shot but for your listeners and maybe maybe yourself 
espresso martinis here in the oh, UK. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's one of the most popular UK uh, cocktails here in the UK. If you go onto our website, you'll find the recipe for an espresso martini using Jägermeister cold brew coffee. And uh, do let me know what you think. I will. I will. I'll, um, I'll take some videos maybe of me making them and uh, and send them to you. I'm sure Happy you'll get a laugh out of it as well. For, um, <laughs> <laughs> not Good. Else. Be great. Um, so we've spoken about um, a couple of the campaigns um, and what, you know, benefits can come from them. And I was just wondering if you could... Um, talk to us about some of the risk factors that are involved um, mm-hmm. to doing quite large campaigns. I know that you've done one, um, the Jägermeister's New Mix, New Beef mm-hmm. campaign mm-hmm. that totaled, I think, it's £2 million, pounds, if that's correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what kind of risks are attached to this? You know, hindsight is amazing, Stephanie. Um, we launched this campaign in, we, we say Q4, but for your listeners, in case they don't know that business language, it's very much kind of October, November 2019. So that's when we launched um, Jägermeister Cold Brew Coffee into the UK. And as you can imagine, I've been talking all through this conversation about kind of our focus in the on-trade. Nobody knew that three or four months later, the on-trade in the UK, bars and clubs and everything when it closed through a pand- pandemic. So if you asked me that question three and a half years ago, I never would have said the risk of a global pandemic coming across and actually you've spent your campaign money, you've tried to get momentum behind the launch of a new product within Jägermeister, and then suddenly your whole route to market is closed. Um, and that that's something, that's, that's a risk. But obviously, if I look in the general normal world, I would probably turn the question a little bit on its head, Stephanie, if I can. I think the biggest risk is if you don't invest because you lose your relevance with your consumer. I talked about keeping us fresh as a brand, keeping kind of ahead of the trends, keep monitoring the trends. And if you if you just sit back and don't do anything and expect people to kind of uh, follow you without doing anything fresh and giving them experiences, you're gone. As a brand, you'd be gone. And um, we always need to stay fresh. Give, I suppose, if I talk about, give the consumer the reason to believe in us as a brand. And that's why I'd say twist a little bit the risk of not doing something. I would say out risks outweighs the risk of doing something. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like you, it, trial and error as well. I yeah, it reminds me of totally. That. I do really agree with what you said. It reminds me of when I uh, was preparing for my interview with a law firm, and I was going through some. Um, I was going through some uh, business development questions because they like to ask a mixture of law and um, business questions. And one of them I think I think I was considering was the pros and cons of law firms opening up webinars to um, not the general public, but mm-hmm. to other lawyers and their clients. And um, my mentor asked me, I think what what the a potential downside was its competitors could come along and you know listen to all of their insights and then use it to their advantage. And you know, it's just it got me to thinking. And although that is um a risk, 
the risk doesn't outweigh the um the positive so yeah the yes, benefit of it as you said there are risk factors involved but at the end of the day if you don't do it then you are um potentially going to limit yourself of you know your target audience and restrict them from you know getting the information in this case but you know the um the product awareness i guess of um the Jager so true so true yeah. so you do yeah. have to break eggs to make an omelette sometimes and there you go yeah. the old cliche <laughs> <I know. laughs> i'd like to take a moment to speak about the university of law which is the university i decided to study my lpc at the university of law is the sponsor of this podcast and makes it possible for us to continue bringing these episodes to you so we really appreciate you supporting us by supporting our sponsors. What really sets the University of Law apart from other universities is its belief in training students for the real world from the moment they accept a place. The University of Law's experienced career service and award-winning pro bono clinics offer students the chance to get real-life legal experience which can boost employability. They offer a range of undergraduate and postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students excel at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment focused, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part-time and online study options are also available on many of their courses to help students work and study at the same time. If you'd like to find out more about the courses on offer, please click the link in the description box of the podcast. Um, So as we're talking about risks, what supply chain risks such as um, carbon footprint, biodiversity impact or working conditions of suppliers are Jägermeister most concerned with and how does the company mitigate such risks? Okay, Um, all three areas are tremendously important to us as a business where as I say we're a family-owned mono-brand company um, for the moment so um, of course we we have um, share and we're kind of a partnership with Terraman in the US which is a tequila but for us here for Jägermeister in the UK we are a mono mono company and um, we're fully committed to working on more sustainable solutions we work closely with our suppliers and um, to see what new technologies or innovations that allowed us to achieve this while I, I guess maintaining that good working conditions for their employees and um, even our ingredients um, I know I, I've never been out, but I know all parts of the world where we source the ingredients, we pay more. We look after the families who kind of do, who produce all of the raw materials first and the ingredients that go into the product. And um, from our side here in the UK, I can give you an example of a commitment to our brand new. So I talked about visibility in bars being so important to us. And you may have seen, we call it the tap machine, where you see some visibility on the back bar of a bar where you have a bottle. And it's basically cooling our liquid on the bar so they can serve some shots from it. And we have a brand new ice cold equipment from Denmark, um, basically where we've worked really closely with the suppliers to develop and produce um, equipment closer to the European market. This allows us to, I guess, reduce our carbon footprint and implement more sustainable processes and materials because our current cool equipment was coming from China. So we're saying if it's coming from China, big boxes, taking a while, um, we said, let's, let's work with the Danes. And I'm not sure how, how many, if you know many Danish people, but the Danes are very, very strong and high in their sustainability ethos. ethos. So that's what we stick to. Um, I guess the other one would be with our relationship we have with our suppliers is I know 
myself, not, not quarterly, but I know my team would meet quarterly. They do visits with the main partners where they'll discuss and agree ways of working to improve all processes across the supply chain and how, we, how I guess we can play our part in ensuring a better planet because that is what we want to do. And our family is 100% behind us on that. Excellent. Well, that's really, uh, really great to know. And just moving it slightly away from ESG, yeah. you're talking about um, moving uh, manufacturing from China to um, closer to home. I think that that is, you know, potentially a really good um, uh, business decision because, you know, what ha- what happened when the um, the boat got... The- oh, and then the, the Panama Canal. Yeah, yeah, like that happened last year. And of course, with the pandemic and um, flights not traveling yeah. anymore, I think it just reduces the ris- the risk of that as well. So totally. um, yeah, I mean, on top of the ESG agenda, it just helps with the um, the movement of the supply chain as well. But also even the, the machine itself that we have, our, our cooling equipment, it's more efficient, it uses less energy. All of those type of things, the Danes have been absolutely awesome with helping us develop, and uh, we're we're very proud of it. And it's 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 probably out in the UK now about three or four weeks, so people will slowly start to see it out there. I'm going to keep an eye on that. Unfortunately, I don't get to bars as much as I would like to at the moment. Nor I. (laughs) I have to move the bar into my kitchen or my living room. What? Um, so how did the pandemic and the lockdown restrictions really affect spirit companies on the whole, do you say? Um, okay, spirit companies, I guess I, I, I don't like speaking about spirit, oh. other kind of people and stuff. So I guess I'll probably only look at it from, from our point of view, if I could, Stephanie, because I don't like to kind of quote others at the end of the day. And um, when, when I think of the pandemic, um, I look at it from two angles and I, I put into perspective our people. And then our brand. And, and we, we came up with them at the start of the pandemic. We always had people first. And um, fr- from the people perspective, it was, it was very tough suddenly working from home and in some cases having to juggle, juggle homeschooling, kids running around the place. What were they going to be doing? The uncertainty um, of jobs. How is the company going to operate, et cetera, et cetera. It was, it was a total like we can see the mental health that's coming out of the lockdown and I'm sure people were going through so many kind of strains and stuff like that as they were stuck at home. From my perspective here in Mass Jägermeister UK, I was very proud how we dealt um, with the lockdown. Again, being a family-owned family business, we were able to give people job security. We said we, we would not make people redundant through the, basically the, the lockdown, and, and that's what we did. Um, we ensured people were prepared. We were prepared as a business because we got the people, they're safe at home. Everybody knew what they were to doing, but then we had to have an eye in the future. Because if you think about it, in the UK, 75, 80% of our sales are in pubs and nightclubs. So suddenly that channel for us closed. Now, I do know from the numbers, a lot of other spirits businesses rocketed us really well and their sales went really well because they were predominantly maybe 90% sales in supermarkets, which increased more. Naturally, we sold more in supermarkets than previously, but it didn't make up for the shortfall that we had kind of in bars and, and nightclubs. So it, it, I wouldn't like, it, it was tough. However, but I was very, very proud of the people where we looked after people, the people looked after us as a business and a brand because we had so many great pl- plans in place that when we came out of lockdown, we were ready to go. That's you really know? great to know. I, I think yeah. it really, it, you just cannot um, deny the fact that 
if you if you do good then good you know returns to you so it's great that Jägermeister a brand as you know as big as it is follows that kind of ethos and just demonstrates that it does work so that's really good to see yeah Yeah. um how about Brexit how did Brexit impact uh Jägermeister um you said you talk I mean I wondered if the fact that it's got uh 56 you know herbs had anything to that the fact that it has 56 herbs were affected by Brexit, but um, I might be way off then, so, so please do correct me. Yeah, no, honestly, there's logic to your, your thinking, Stephanie, but uh, you're, we produce in one source. So all of our product is produced in Wolfenbüttel in Germany. So it's probably about 45, 50 minutes from Hanover. Um, that's basically where the product was founded by Kurt Mast. And um, we, so Brexit wouldn't really have played any role in terms of our ingredients that I'm aware of. I don't know from the German side whether they bring any ingredients in from the UK, but if I talk about our um, business here, yeah. we bring all of our product in from Germany. So there's been an increase, I guess, in costs with increased paperwork, processes post-Brexit, less reliable kind of supply chain, and um, lack of drivers post-Brexit, where a lot of people have left the country. That's not only us, that, that's all industries that have been suffering from that. I think it was only even at the end of October uh, no, sorry, end of October, end of August, where we had two deliveries to go. And basically the truck was there. Uh, sorry, the container was there and the truck drivers never turned up. You know, that is just an ongoing kind of issue with, with, with supply chain. And um, from one decision that we did take post-Brexit was that we said we would not, because of all the issues with kind of bringing stock in and the delays at the port and the extra time and lead times to get it in and delivery then into warehouse and then out and stuff. What we said is, Given the success of Jägermeister kind of over the last kind of year or so since we kind of came out, well, it's been a big success in the UK for many years, but really kind of over the last year, say, since lockdown and our demand that our customers have, not our consumers, that our customers have to make sure that we provide them. I always talk about the incremental sales they get. We don't want them to lose that. So basically, we increased our own stock holdings at our own cost here in the UK. So basically, we, we in our warehouses, we hold more stock for the trade here in the UK to ensure that we can supply them. We don't want there to be any risk of going out of stock. So okay. that, and that's at an extra cost to us. Okay. But it, it limits the risk that if you run out, you wouldn't have anything, you know, to sell them. So. Absolutely. We just want to make sure that we can provide them. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, are there any other key regulatory challenges that Jägermeister is navigating its way through? Um, well, with this, you know, this isn't only Jägermeister. This would be all spirits. If I can think of a couple off the top of my head, you're probably thinking the returnable bottle scheme, where the scheme in Scotland, the scheme is set up and likely to start in 2024. Um, we believe Westminster plan to launch a different scheme a little bit later. Let's see what happens. Um, startup costs for this will be funded by producers, and um, with any on so and the admin challenge to allocate. The Scottish consumption with the stock being supplied, there, there's a whole game of, because you don't know where sometimes the stock into Scotland comes from, et cetera, but then we'd have to pay for the bottles that appear. So that's a that's a big, big um, kind of chunk of business that we'd be kind of dealing with. I believe it will come later, or they will look at it later, maybe in Wales and Northern Ireland, but the Scots will start. Um, Before you move oh, on, I wasn't actually aware of that. So is that some kind of like upcycling scheme? Exactly. It's like a recycling initiative that it's kind of plastic, glass bottles all of that that you have you ever been to germany no 
Okay, so so I lived in Germany for five years before I came here. And what you do is at the weekend, say you would um, bring your empty plastic bottles or glass buckets bottles to your supermarket. You put them in the machine, and then you would get it's called a fan. It's kind of like called the deposit. And you would get imagine you bring ten bottles back, so you get two pet two euros fifty. And when you're buying your groceries, you hand them the receipt, and it comes off your grocery bill. So. I don't know now when it comes to the producers and the ins and outs, we're looking into it to see actually what it means um, and what the actual role of the retailers. It's, it's still not 100% clear. I think that's probably why it's been pushed out to 2024, but we're we're trying to get as much information, but that will come in. And and anything that helps the environment is right. I just hope that it's done in the, in the right way and that we can, can actually, we can, I guess, man, not only us, but it can be managed in the right way. Um. I'd also talk on the alcohol excise duty review, which has been ongoing now through um, the government. That's postponed um, in the mini budget last week. It's postponed to autumn 2023. Um, but I guess how long will that last, that frozen rate until Feb- they say Feb- February, March 2023? Um, actually, I'm sorry, it's after the summer, autumn 2023. But with, with inflation and interest rates and everything on the rise, let's see. Also, if I can think of a couple of other little ones, I know the Scottish executive is reviewing marketing practices for alcohol and um, with increased restriction, maybe potentially on sponsorship. And um, within that, the ASA, which is the Advertising Standards Authority, um, is likely to review the advertising code um, clause covering underage appeal, which, which is all right because we don't want to be appealing to, to, to kind of children, uh, but they are all kind of the challenges and things that are going on in the background. Um, and as you know, we, we do have the Portman Group, which you'd be aware of. And Jägermeister sits, I, I'm happy to sit on that council on the Portman Group, where we do kind of look at and we challenge things in a self-regulatory way. Well, thank you for sharing all of that um, with us. I think that, you know, there's definitely a lot to be keeping um, our eyes on. Um, and, you know, 2023, 2024, all these dates are fast approaching, so it must be really yeah. keeping you busy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know... There's always so many regulatory um, um, issues to be to be keeping your eye on. That um, I suppose they you you're constantly occupied by them. Um, good news for lawyers, I suppose. But yeah. uh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> um, so, what are the biggest consumer trends affecting the alcohol industry? Um, and do you think that they are reshaping the industry? Yeah, it's like at the end of the day, alcohol consumption usage has been declining for many years. Like, you know, you can look at the stats, it's been coming down. If I think of, as you say, the biggest consumer trends, I think sales of alcohol alternatives will probably gain share over time as demographics shift in the UK and young adults and the current batch of young adults reduce their usage whether the next batch will kind of not or not let's see and um, the reduction in the on-trade outlets so like there used to be 120 130,000 on-trade outlets bars and stuff across the uk I, I could be wrong on this but i think it's around 85 to 90,000 now you know that the pressures that uk hospitality are under are enormous you know with, with all the increasing pr- prices yeah. especially rural pubs as economic impacts and scarce, scarcer labor like you, you go to some pubs and they say, sorry, we don't have the kitchen. We don't have the staff to, to open the kitchen. We can give you a few drinks, but we can't actually give you food. And th- those are the reality. Um, e-commerce, 
um, which is kind of obviously sales by the internet, it's more strongly established as transport practices change and cost. How is that going to work? That 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 was a big boom through the lockdown. A lot of more people were ordering alcohol through Amazon, etc., to consume it at home. What is the future going to be for for e-commerce? And then I guess um, when it comes, I, I talked about people earlier, Stephanie. Will talent want to work within the spirits industry? If we become so relegated, sorry, regulated, um, like tobacco, for example, will people have an issue working within the spirits industry? I hope not. Um, but that's just a question. That's probably a question more for 10, 15, 20 years down the line. I mean, I, I, hope, I hope not. Um, I think yeah. that um, because you do have so many other you know initiatives like donating some of your profits to other organizations like charitable organizations and you do have such a strong ESG initiative you know you're clearly a brand that does good and you know provides that quality to its consumers so um, I don't think that just because you know you're an alcohol company should you know devalues you or anything like that and you know people I think I think that people are always going to drink alcohol and, um, you know, I don't think that uh, the whole kind of wellness trend is going to put an, an end to, you know, the alcohol industry. But, yeah, I thought it was interesting you and you were talking about the figures are, you know, declining. Um, what are people doing instead? Are they are they purchasing 0% alcohol? Because I've seen that. Yeah pop up a couple of times on my Instagram feed, but, um, you know, uh, I've never tried it. <laughs> um, I have my own views that I wouldn't say on camera what, what, what young people are doing now with the squeeze on income and stuff like that. But um, yes, there is the rise. Of course, there is the rise in, on um, no low and no alcohol. Um, it's still very small. Like even when I see the numbers from the IWSR and they're saying it's going to grow 7 8% over the next four or five years, when you actually boil it down and you see the growth of the total spirits market versus yeah. the growth of this NOLA, given the base, seven or eight percent is not big. The spirits are still due to, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but it still grow exponentially versus what the new no. But p- listen, it gives people choice. It gives people an opportunity that if they'd like a drink, if they don't like a drink, and that that's what's very important. Um let's be honest, people's don't have as much money as they used to. You know, so going out and stuff. That's why we often people kind of drink at home, have some drinks at home before they kind of maybe head out into nightclubs, et cetera, et cetera, because it is getting more expensive. And, and you feel for the bars because they have to put their prices up because costs are going up, labor, food, all of that kind of stuff, the costs are going up. So yeah, it's um, it's an interesting times. Yeah. Um, I'm going to come back on to the uh, e-commerce um, okay. aspect of it in just a second, but um, as you were just saying, you know, looking at the the low or no alcohol uh, figures compared to the alcohol, it just reminded me of when, again, I was preparing for my interview with the law firm and I was looking at um, investing in renewable energies and re- investing in fossil fuel. And although the investing in renewable energy, you know, had shot up by um, like 100% in just a year or something like that, which made it seem like a dramatic um, increase that, you know, probably all investors were uh, going (laughs) for. When you compared that to fossil fuels, it was just, it was so minor. Um, So I do 
um, encourage all student lawyers to look at, you know, all kind of like stats and figures and charts before. Not just um, the headline number. Before, exactly, before the headline number. So, yeah, do your research um, before. Good advice. Um, Very yeah. good advice. <laughs> so, um Again, touching on the e-commerce, because you're talking about people ordering from places like Amazon and wholesalers. And I was just wondering if you could please talk to us about the rise, or if there is a rise, um, in direct-to-consumer shipping Mm -hmm. within the drinks industry. Um, And could direct-to-consumer shipping be more beneficial than working with a wholesaler? Mm. Um, Well, for starters, we, we have some great relationships with wholesalers, and I, I think that they definitely they give you that bit of choice. So I would I'd hate to I'd hate them not to be there. Um, as with all industries, the internet brings for me new ways of working, opportunities, and I guess risk to traditional bricks and mortar stores. And um, we saw that during lockdown, as sales across e-commerce increased as people ordered from the safety of their homes. You know, people didn't want to go out; they were afraid to. So not not only alcohol, but kind of all industries. My own view is for sure e-commerce is here to stay and it's gotten into everyday habit of consumers. Like, so for example, my, my wife would tell you that I loved going to supermarkets because I actually just all through categories, I love to see the new products coming up. I like to see what offers are there and I love to spend an hour and a half while she would hate it. So even through lockdown, I went to the supermarket, but now I do my online shopping. I basically do my grocery shopping every week at home for convenience. And I think there's some benefits to it. And within the drinks, the growth rate has slowed a little bit. I'm aware of that. But I, I always am very interested to see what the leaders in the industry do, like the likes of Diageo and Perno. And they bought e-commerce platforms recently. And I'm really interested to see how they bring them to the market and what they how they use them and what that basically means for the future. Because you've got the massive companies like Amazon, but Amazon kind of pulled from everywhere. So what does it actually mean for the opportunity? Does it mean that Diageo or Perno or Ricard will actually do their own kind of route to market? Will they cut out the wholesaler? Really, in, in, really interested to see what the development will be. I, I personally believe we, we still do need that wholesaler, um, but let's see how, how we how the next couple of years pan out. Excellent. That'll be one to watch for sure. Yeah. Um, so what opportunities does 2023 hold for Jägermeister <laughs> um, and the alcohol industry at large? Um, I'm going to probably be a little bit more short term, Stephanie, and probably bring us back even to now. Um, for me, the short term for the future opportunities don't start because, as I say, hospitality is on its knees a little bit with drinks within the, the trade. Um, for me, the opportunities don't start in 2023, but actually start in November, the Football okay. World Cup. It's a great opportunity for the country. Now, I know it's only English and Welsh people. As an Irish man, we're not there, but basically... Um, the, the English and the, the Welsh are there. Get the country out, get them out together to support their teams and to help and to meet their friends and actually to help out their local kind of pubs and stuff in the entree. As I said, they've had a lot to go through UK hospitality over the last kind of three years. And I think it's it's a great opportunity kind of now to get out and kind of support them. So that'll be kind of the World Cup. It's, it's crazy. When it was announced, I was like, why are they doing it kind of in a winter World Cup? But actually, the fact now is it kind of like as a business, you know, actually, it's going to work quite well. And then also, if you think back last year, there was a lot of fear around the Omicron variant last year around Christmas. Yeah. Hopefully that won't be here this year. And that actually means that consumers will have a bit more confidence to get out there. 
Like I know a lot of bars that have brought a lot of stock and a lot of food and everything in. And then the Omnicrom kind of fear came up and people stayed at home. So I think for not only kind of, I guess, for Jägermeister, the alcohol industry and, and, and hospitality as a whole, I'm really hoping that the next two or three months give them some much kind of needed boost into their business before then we kind of face into that dark January and see what challenges lie ahead. Um, has it always been the way that, um, you know, businesses like yourself don't look at opportunities, you know, a year in advance are, and are looking just a couple months ahead? Or is it a post-pandemic kind of thing, would you say? No, no, to be honest, we, we have our plans already done for next year. So our plan for 2023 is done. So I, I guess I just... I, I'm very much now with the blinkers on a little bit, yeah. kind of focusing, no, but but businesses would already have their kind of innovation plan, their innovation funnel for possibly three years down the line. I so see. no, they they definitely still look out, but I guess there is that just because we're entering that such an important moment for our business, the end of year, the quarter four, I guess for me, I've got my blinkers and I'm kind of looking at October, November, December and Thank making you. sure we deliver a good year. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and I'm looking forward to watching the World Cup. And I promise that I will have a glass of a glass of, you know, what would you call it? A glass of a shot? A shot of Jägermeister to celebrate, you know, all the wins that we're going to have. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, wonderful. So um, we are coming to the end of the interview now. So um, I have just one last question for you, unfortunately. No worries. And that is, do you have any words of wisdom for student lawyers who are interested in working as an in-house lawyer for, you know, a global um, spirit company? Yeah, do you know, as we're kind of the the UK arm of our business here, I guess that probably the question will go to the brand owner in Germany. They'd probably be able to answer that. But my own personal view would be that I see the drinks industry as kind of almost like working in the entertainment business. Um, we aim to create those experiences. I've touched on it already to give the consumer the experiences, the best nights today and tomorrow. And the, the legal side is so important and we keep, and we have to, it's key to us to stick to the strict rules that we follow in it as a corporate and social responsibility, that, but we can have a lot of fun doing it. And I think that's for me emotionally for somebody who would like to kind of go, where do I want to go to my career? Where's the next step? And and you talked on earlier where you love brands. If you love brands and you love what brands are about, then follow your heart. And I I think something like in the drinks industry, you can be really creative. Um, It's it's a lovely, lovely industry. I'm now, I'm I'm looking at the calendar here. I'm into my 22nd year in the drinks industry and I'm I'm still loving every minute of it. Yeah, that's really great to know. Thank you for sharing that. Very, um, very inspiring and, um, you know, just motivational for anybody that does have a very creative kind of like um, personality, but also is in love with the law as well. I think that the two can be a really great mix. So, you know, thank you for just kind of like clarifying that. No problem. So thank you very much, Michael, for being a fantastic guest Mm. on the show. I've had a really good time chatting with you and actually learnt, um, learned a hell of a lot about the drinks industry and about all the um, regulatory matters that, you know, go on behind the scenes. So, yeah, thank you for providing such an excellent insight. Thank you very much for having the time to chat to me. Appreciate it. It was my pleasure, completely. And thank you to everybody for tuning in to another episode of the Student Oil Podcast. And we'll see you back here again next time.
to hear more of the student lawyers podcast hit the subscribe button and leave us a star rating and review if you would like to join the student lawyer as a writer please email hello at the student lawyer.com